I want to speak to you this morning a message called Jesus Wash My Feet from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19. If you go there in your Bibles, please, Matthew chapter 19. Father, I thank you, God Almighty, with all my heart for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you are teaching us. You are preparing us in the same way that Joshua had to roll away the reproach of Egypt before the next generation could go in and inherit the promised land. You are rolling away from our hearts and our minds the reproaches of this world, the things that render us weak and cause us not to understand where the power of your kingdom is truly found. Lord Jesus Christ, our hope for the future is a spiritual awakening in the nation. And so, Lord, we ask you, God, to take away from us what needs to be taken away and plant in our hearts what needs to be put there. Deliver us, God, from thinking of this world that weakens us. Lord, even things that we've embraced, we may even have heard them in the house of God, but they're not true. So, Lord, help us, God, to believe and understand that your word is the final authority on all things. Give us the grace to love your word. Give me the grace to speak it today. Give our hearts the grace to hear it. Lord, we don't stand before you in strength. We stand before you in weakness. We stand before you, as Isaiah once did, acknowledging that we are undone without your mercy. We can't go forward without your presence. Nothing will happen, Lord, unless you choose to walk with us and use us for your glory. So we implore you to come, Lord Jesus Christ, and bring your own name back to glory again in our generation. We yield our bodies to you, Lord. We don't know what else to do. We give you our hearts. God Almighty, even that is frail and flawed. But still, you took a boy's lunch and you fed thousands with it. So you can take us, Lord, and you can use each of us for your glory. We simply come to you with an honest heart, Lord, acknowledging that you don't take us because we have it all together. You take us because we are weak and we know we are. You take us not in our success, but in our failure. And you become the success of our heart. Oh, Jesus Christ, we long for your name to be honored. As David once came into the camp of Israel and heard this threatening coming from the other side of the valley. And he was more concerned about the honor of your name than anything else. Oh, God, would you plant that so deep within us, Lord, that it's about your honor, Lord, that we stand, we live, we move, we have our being. I have no desire to preach a sermon. I want to hear from you, Lord. I want to hear your word. I want to hear it deep in my heart, not just accumulate more knowledge without power. What's the point of it, Lord? I want my life to change. I don't want to be just standing here preaching. I want to live these words that you've given my heart. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, for what you will do today. I praise you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Jesus, wash my feet. Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first 
will be last and the last first. A perplexing verse, verse 30, talking about the coming kingdom of God. A kingdom where it seems, at least at face value, to refer to the reversal of an order of things that are generally sought for and accepted in this world. In other words, it, when we get there, a lot of things are just going to be turned upside down. People that we didn't esteem, we will find out that God did. People that we esteemed, we'll find out that God didn't. Everything will be brought into its rightful order. Every heart will be rewarded according to the diligence of its service to God. It will be an amazing day. I, I've, I've shared with you before, but it's a thought. It's a chuckle in my heart, to be honest with you, and a bit of a fear of God as well. That one day when we get to heaven and we're all sitting in the heaven's waiting room like we are today, and there's no time anymore, so a million years can seem like a 30 seconds. There's no time. Time doesn't matter anymore. We're there for eternity. You don't get hungry, you don't get tired. You, don't, you can't sigh, you can't cry. And we're waiting now for the reward to be given, the rewards to be given to the righteous. Jesus did say some will rule 10 cities. There'll be all kinds of things that are given to do for eternity. And suddenly the list will be brought out. I'm telling you, let me give you a secret. Sit in the back seat. It would be less embarrassing there. Don't sit in the front because it's going to be real obvious when your name hasn't been called for 10,000 years. And suddenly names are being called. Mary Johnson and all the angels start to wave their wings and heavenly beings are clapping and everyone's looking around. Mary Johnson. Where did I ever hear about her? Well, you didn't. You see, she was the little lady in the midst of a country church way, maybe out in Kentucky somewhere, that every Sunday brought a glass of water and set it on the pulpit. Every week made sure the flowers were just set right in the sanctuary. Maybe was at the door greeting people and handing out bulletins for the week. And, and we didn't esteem her maybe as having achieved a pinnacle of success. But you see, God's ways are not our ways. And God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And names will be called. Names that you don't know and I don't know. Names in this church will be called that many have never heard of. It's, it's going, yes, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What a day that's going to be. And many who are first are going to be last. And many who are last are going to be first. I tell you, if you want to fellowship with me, you're going to have to go to the back door because that's where I'm going to be. I'll be holding the door for many of the ushers in this church. I'll be holding the door for those that have cleaned the church. I'll be holding the door for those who volunteer to clean the bathrooms downstairs. I'll be holding the door for people who are in children's church right now, babysitting your children so you can hear the word of God. I'll be holding the door for those that are in the nursery, serving in the nursery. And it's a rightful thing. Many who are first now are going to be last then. And many who are last are going to be first. And it's right in the sight of God. Now this statement that Jesus makes about many who are being first becoming last and who are last becoming first is made immediately following an interaction with a, a very religious young man earlier in the chapter. We know him as the rich young ruler. That's what he's called. That's what he was. He was rich. He was young and he was a ruler. He came sliding. I can just see him sliding across the stage almost in a dramatic fashion on his knees Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You can see that, right? You can see that. 
you know, expecting a, a, a commendation instead of a condemnation. And Jesus says, well, you know, you know what the, the, the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness. And he says, all these things I've done from my youth, what do I lack yet? You see, his, his religion had helped him to attain what those of this world always strive for. He was a very religious young man. But his religion brought him to a place where he had this world's wealth, this world's status, and this world's power. When religion loses touch with God, that's what it always offers you. Wealth, status, and power. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 25, King Saul was leading the nation of Israel there in a battle and suddenly they faced something that was too strong for them as we are facing today. We're facing a Goliath, folks, in our generation just as they were in their generation. This threatening voice, you will serve us. You will serve us. We are stronger than you. You will not defeat us. Every morning this voice is rising up and the whole army are trembling before this threatening voice that's been raised up Boasting of its size, boasting of its strength, boasting of its power. And David, just a boy, comes walking into the camp and he starts to ask. He says, why is nobody fighting this? Why is everybody cowering? His brothers are there. And his brothers are pricked in their conscience by his inquiries because they don't, not one of them has the courage to go down and fight this giant. And he says, well, what will be, what will be done? And they said to the man who fights this giant, so the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up in 1 Samuel 17, 25? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches, give him his daughter, that's wealth and status, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And when religion departs from the presence of God and the power of God, all it can offer is wealth status, and power. If you are listening to any voice that's offering you that in God's name, you are listening to a voice that has lost touch with the genuine power of God. Years ago when I was pastoring in Canada, I got a phone call one morning from a new Christian. And he was all excited. He said, Pastor, I was in prayer this morning. And the Lord told me that I'm destined for greatness. I said, well, praise God. I'm glad to hear that because our janitor resigned yesterday. <laughs> and until we can hire somebody new, I need somebody to wash the floor of the church after service every Sunday. I remember his words. I remember his exact words he said at that moment. He said, well, that's not exactly what I had in mind. <laughs> no, it probably isn't. But I believe it's exactly what God had in mind. Because God's view of greatness and our view of greatness are not exactly the same. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 24 to 26, it says, now about the disciples, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Now actually when you look up dispute, it means a heated argument. These are the disciples of Jesus Christ. Walking down the road saying, I'm going to be greater than you. No, I'm going to be greater than you. No, wait till you see the miracles that I'm going to do, man. It's going to leave you in the dust. Wait till you see the crowds that are going to come to hear me preach. 
And they're in a heated dispute about which of them should be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. In other words, Jesus was teaching that in his kingdom, which will outlast all the kingdoms of this world, eternal power, everlasting wealth, and true status are all found at the bottom of what this world offers, not the top. In other words, in God's kingdom, the way up is down. Truly amazing. You want to be great? Find the lowest place. Find the lowest seat. Find the lowest task. Do it before God with all your heart. And you will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. I want you to go with me to John chapter 13, please, if you will. John chapter 13. A phenomenal interaction where Jesus is, is teaching his disciples a way of thinking that is going to give them the ability to literally bring the gospel into all the known world. Do you understand that? He's showing them where power is found. It's not found in wealth of this world. It's not found in the status of this world. It's not found in the power of this world. He's showing them something that is foolishness to those who have a carnal mind and a carnal heart. He's showing them something that those outside the kingdom of God, they can't see. They don't consider it to be powerful. And in our case, if we're going to see a spiritual awakening in our generation, the reproach of this kind of thinking has got to be rolled away from us once again. John chapter 13, beginning at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. So he's in total authority and he knows it. He has all resources and he knows it. He has all status for all of eternity and he knows it. Now nobody on this earth at this time knows it, but he knows it. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. In other words, I'm showing you a new path for your feet it's a place that I'm leading you to, but you don't understand it yet because you're still arguing with your brothers about who is going to be the greatest. But I am teaching you something. I'm showing you the pathway to power. I am showing you the pathway to true greatness in the kingdom of God. You don't understand it now, but there's coming a time, Peter, where you will understand it. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, if you don't embrace this moment, you will never know the fullness of what I have for you. You can claim to walk with me, but you won't be walking with me. You can lay claim to power, but you won't have power. Because power, Peter, is not found where you think it is. It's found in what I am right now demonstrating to you. As the Son of God, 
as the one who has all authority, as the one who has universal and forever status, as the one who controls all wealth, not only in the world, but in that world which is to come. I'm now showing you the fullness of what I have for you. Then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Now, in verse 10 is, is a strange, it's a strange verse in a sense. If you just look at it the way it's written, it, mean, it looks like to be saved, you only have to have your feet cleaned. But that's really not what it's about. You see, from the, from the moment mankind sinned in the Garden of Eden, what, what was the sin? The sin that the devil planted in the human race, in your heart and in mine, in every, every human being born, is that in yourself, you can be as God is. You can have wealth, you can have power, you can have status, you can be as God. You can determine your own course, your own destiny. You can, you can travel the whole circumference of this globe. And that's exactly what humankind has done for thousands of years. Searching for wealth, searching for power, searching for status. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what New York City is about? Like, how many people come here to serve? How many people land on the shores of New York and say, I'm just here to serve, whoever. Can I serve somebody? How many people walk around the street here out in Manhattan and say, hey, can I help you? Can I serve? Can I carry those bags? Nobody. Everyone is here to be served. Everyone is here to get their slice of the socioeconomic pie. Everyone's here to push somebody else out of the way so they can climb a little higher on the ladder. So Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. In other words, I'm going to show you another path for your feet. I'm going to take you on a clean path. The pathway of this world is dirty. The pathway of this world leads nowhere. It just goes in this endless circle where people are never satisfied. I had an opportunity once to speak to a hundred of maybe top executives here in America and in Canada gathered together in one room. And I spoke to them of the fear in the human heart. And most of these people were at the second, third, or first rung on the ladder of corporate success. And I said, there's a, a deep abiding fear in your heart that if you get to the next rung or the next rung after this, and it's no better than it is now, then life is no longer worth living. And I remember a person in the front row on the front table just began weeping openly. The thought of suicide, because nothing of this world satisfies. You push your way to the top if you want. You get a public office if you want. You, you get preeminence in the church if that's what you strive for. Jesus said, he was bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. It's truly amazing when you think about it. God, where am I walking? This is what I started to, as I was reading and studying this, Lord, Am I a servant? You know, it's easy to declare yourself one, if, uh, especially if you know the truth of it. But declaring it and living it are two different things. And it requires an examination of the Holy Spirit of the heart. Otherwise, we'll all declare ourselves righteous if it's only you and I examining our own hearts. So when he had washed their feet in verse 12 and 
taking his garments and sat down again. He said to them, do you know what I've done to you? Do you know what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, no more striving to be on the top. Every one of you, if you want to know the power of God, it's found with a basin and a towel. It's found in saying, how can I help you? How can I serve you? What can I do for you? For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent, who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Verse 18, he says, I do not speak concerning all of you, for I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats his bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. In other words, Jesus washed the feet of Judas, but Judas wanted nothing with the lesson that was being taught him. He wanted power. He wanted money. We know that because he was a thief. He wanted status. And when he couldn't get it through the Christ that was before him, he chose to betray him and get it the way he thought it could be gotten. And how many people today will lift up their heel. In other words, they, they, will, they will yield in a sense in the moment. And I'm sure he let Jesus wash his feet. But in reality, he was lifting his heel against him and saying, you can do this if you want, but I'm not, I'm not going this way. I'm not going to be a servant to anybody. I'm going to be a Lord. I'm going to be an authority. People are going to know my name. When I walk down the street, they're going to watch me walk by. I'm going to be famous. And I'm going to have power. And I'm going to have status and I'm going to have authority. You say this is the way to win the war. This is the way to, to overthrow, in a sense, this dominant force, which was Rome at that time, that's come into our nation. And in his heart, Judas must have said, you are mad. There's no way we're going to win this with a basin and a towel. And you're telling us that if that you want us to come out of this relationship with you and you want us simply to be servants? That's not how wars are won. Somebody's got to rise up and be preeminent. And I have no doubt in Judas's heart he felt, I'm the one. I'm going to show you how this is done. I'm going to rise up. I'm going to be the voice, etc., etc., etc. You wash feet if you want to Jesus, but not me. I'm not going in this pathway, I have another view of greatness than what you're setting before me. And again, back in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 to 28, Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, the way of the cross is indeed foolishness to those who are perishing. The way of the cross is indeed foolishness to a, a religious age that has taught the people that the way to change the culture is through wealth and status and power. But Jesus taught 
that the way to greatness, the way to win the victory, is by being the least of these. In the home, for example, a lot of marriages are in trouble because husbands, you don't love your wives as Christ loves the church. You don't give yourself for her as Christ was given for you. And that's why your marriage is in trouble. You want to be Lord. You're very quick to pull out the scriptures. Wives, submit to your husband. <laughs> but very slow to pull out the scripture that says, and gave himself for her. And that's why your house is in trouble. That's why you have no authority. You have no power in your home because you want the king's chair and not the servant's chair. And you've raised your heel, in effect, against the word of God. And said, no, I will do it my way. I know how this needs to be done. I know what this marriage needs. No, you don't. At work, so many people who even profess Christ are jostling and pushing and slandering and murmuring and whispering and trying to work their way through the system to get to the top instead of just looking at somebody who's struggling beside them and saying, can I help you? Can I help you? Looking for everybody to, to help us on our journey to the top as it is, as we think it is, but forgetting that the journey to the top is in looking to somebody who's struggling beside you, maybe new on the job, is afraid they're not going to be able to finish what they've been given to do, and that they, they have a family to feed. They have a future before them. And you and I as believers in Christ have an opportunity to take a, a basin and a towel and say, can I help you? It might take an extra hour in our day. It might take a little time. In the community, we can join the, the people with the placards and we can start shouting and we can get our bullhorn and we can condemn everybody for not thinking or believing like we do. But how many servants are left in the community? How many people who truly know where the power of God is found? In the church, there's just no shortage of people trying to push to preeminence. That's, there's no doubt about that. And when they get it, they just, they just hang on to it like it's a, a bar of gold in their hands. But how many are willing to be servants? And this is where the rubber meets the road in my own life. Because I really don't know if I'm a servant. I'm being honest with you. I really don't know. Only God can I try. But I don't know how much of, of me is a, is, a, is a Lord and how much is a servant. God knows. And so I'm asking him to examine my heart. I'm asking him as, as the disciples as Peter did, Lord, wash my feet. If, if, there's, if there's some filthy thinking of this world that's gotten itself into my spirit, wash my feet. Change my course. Make it, make it desirable in my heart to be a servant. I don't, I don't even know. I don't know because God weighs it. God, I can declare myself a servant. It can be a total farce. God knows if it's true. I'd, I want to be. I feel like I'm in the seat beside Peter. I feel like I'm saying, as long wash my head and my hands, my feet, because I really don't know. I don't get the full lesson yet, and, and I recognize that I can't walk in this unless you do it through me. I can't because in, in my humanness and in yours, it's not in us to be servants. None of us want to be a servant. Our sin nature, we all want to be God. Only Christ in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory, can, can make me and you a servant to one another. Only Christ can get me out of my own world and start realizing there's other people around. 
Only Christ in me can see the need in your life and maybe stop for a moment and have a word for you or let you tell your story to me that you, you feel you need to. Only Christ can, can, can help this poor heart to see what needs to be seen. You see, one day I stand at the throne of God. One day my name is going to be called. I would rather not be the third one left in the room. Jesus, wash my feet. It's the pathway to power. If you were commissioning an army, as Jesus was, that's going to change the course of the whole known world, and you're looking and saying, I'm going to show you now how to do this. I'm going to show you how we're going to win the world. I'm going to show you how millions of people, even billions on continents all throughout this globe, are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and he comes out with a basin and a towel. And it looks like a ridiculous plan. But it is the plan. That's where the power of God is found. It's where the resource is. It's where the wealth is. It's, there's something in this that we need to rediscover again in our generation. Especially a generation that just lusts for power, wealth, and status, and preeminence. And we've even incorporated it into much of the theology of our present church world and made it sound like it's a good thing. All it does is weaken us and leave the nation in the condition it's in today. Jesus, wash my feet. You know, there's people here today that you got to start thinking about your marriage and say, Jesus, wash my feet. Your community, Jesus, wash my feet. Instead of pointing the finger out the window at those kids on the corner, maybe I could serve them and do something for them. Maybe I could make them lunch. Maybe I could just do some little thing that shows them who God is. In the church, instead of grumbling and complaining because somebody's in my seat, how about when you see somebody standing, say, here, have my seat. And it doesn't look like power, but it is power. It's, it's, that's the person who's the greatest. The greatest in the kingdom of God. The greatest. I'm not the greatest because I sit in that seat over there. You're right. Thank you. <laughs> One time I asked the Lord when I was young and I was pastoring and ministering and I was in prayer and it was one of those like, oh God, you and me, we've done so much together. And I said, Lord, why did you choose me to pastor this church? And I said, back in Canada, okay? You know, it's those days when you're young and you're stuck on stupid. And the answer I got, I thought it was because there's something like in my heart. You know, maybe the God saw and I, I was waiting for the answer. And he said to me, because I already had a door greeter. I want you to thank you about that one. So, Father, I ask you, Lord, to wash my feet. I ask you, Lord, for all of us who are gathered here together today. We can learn these things 
But your word says in the last days people will be ever learning but not coming to the knowledge of the truth. I don't want to be among that crowd. I want it to be real. I want it to be true. I want it to be life. And so wash my feet. And Lord, I pray, God, that you told us that if we would do this as you've taught us, that we would be blessed and happy. So would you wash our feet as a church? Would you make us servants to the, world, the church world? Would you help us, Lord, God, in our homes, our communities, in our workplace, everywhere and in the church, to be servants and to show us what that really looks like? Not just a theory, but a practice. And so, Lord, I, I submit my feet to you, and I ask you to wash my feet. Teach me, guide me, help me. Help me, Lord, as you send me out, and I have a privilege of speaking in many places. Lord, I pray that I never go as a Lord, but always as a servant. And only you know when, that, when that's a reality. I don't. You know. God, help us in this church, everyone our homes, our marriages, with our children, everywhere we travel. If the pathways of this world are leading us, then wash our feet of them and bring us on the pathway of heaven and teach us where true power is found. Deliver us, Lord, from these voices that bring us into weakness. The voice of King Saul, who was so distant from God, he was about to consult a witch, offering offering to anybody who would fight the very things that he thought were of value. God help us, each of us, Lord, in Jesus' name. We're going to worship for a few moments, and I'm going to give you an opportunity if you want to respond and come to the front of this auditorium. Simply said, Jesus, wash my feet. North Jersey in the annex, you can step between the screens, but those who are just You've heard it. And as I've said to you today, you're not quite sure if you are a servant or you're not, but you'd like to be, and you recognize it's true. So all that Peter did is he yielded himself, and he became a servant to the body of Christ. And he was willing to die for what he had known of Christ. He changed from a man who was guiding and guarding himself to a man who was living for the benefit of others. That's where the power of God is found. So we're going to stand in a moment, and if, if, if that's the cry of your heart, Jesus, wash my feet. Wash my feet, Lord. Even if you don't fully know what it means. But God, I, I bear witness that this is true. We've just been in your word, and this is where power is found. This is the kind of a church that God can use to transform a nation. It looks foolish to us, but it's where the power of God really is. So roll the reproach of Egypt off of us and help me, Lord. Help me, God. Like Peter, he didn't understand anything of it, but he knew it was true. And he knew somehow it was leading to something that Christ was trying to teach him. So today we simply yield in every facet of our lives and make us servants. In Jesus' name. I'd like you to... Pray for us as leaders in this church that
that we might be servants to you. You know, it's not that we know exactly how to do that, but God will show us. God will help us. And that in turn, we might become servants to one another in the church of Jesus Christ. And I believe that it will bring an anointing like we've never seen in our lifetime. If God can find a house full of servants, there's an anointing available in this generation. There's a joy, there's a power that only comes from God. A power that makes no sense to those whose spirit is the same of, uh, as this world. But those whose spirit is the same with Christ, there's a power that this country needs to see again. The city needs to see it. Our homes, our families, our communities, they need to see it. Elder Richie, would you come? Lord put you on my heart. And would you just lead us in a prayer of dedication that we might be servants? Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we're grateful that only you could take us, Lord God, from the way we were in our reprobate mind and bring us to a place, Lord God, where we could humbly bow before you and pray, God, that your grace, O oh Jesus, would be upon us powerfully in this leadership, oh God. Jesus, it's always been about grace. Lord, don't ever let us add to grace. Lord, we never want to change the gospel of grace because it becomes something different other than you've ordained it to be. Keep us humble before you, Lord God. I thank you, God, that only Jesus could break the power of pride. Father, in this generation, we want to be an example for you, Lord. There's nothing more in our heart that we could cry out for is that we have the aroma of God. Lord, it would be a sweet aroma to those around us, to the body of Christ, to those around the world, Lord God, to the online community, to the people in this community. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. Thank you for faith, God. Faith, faith in what Christ could do in each and every one of us. Nobody's exempt, oh God. But be with this leadership, Lord. We need you so desperately, Lord God, in a very dark and dying hour in America, Lord God. Raise us up as an example, Lord God, worldwide. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you, God. We're so grateful for what you're doing, what you've done, Lord God, and what you're going to do as we cling to your name, to your greatness, Lord God, because it's in you, Lord, that you make us great. And we honor your name today, Jesus, and we thank you, and we bless you, Lord God. Amen. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all of us that have come to this altar 
believing you, Lord, that this week you will wash our feet, that we may become a servant. Thank you. You will not fail to do that. Lord, we acknowledge how many times you have in utter humility, our God washed our feet and we are overwhelmed. So we know it's possible, oh God, to have a heart change. We know it's possible if we will let you wash our feet this week. We can be what you're asking us to be this week. So thank you. You will not forsake us or leave us in this to ourselves to try. But you will walk with us. You will wash our feet and put our feet on a different path. And we'll be able to give you glory. We'll be able to be a light this week. Thank you. We don't lean on our own understanding of what it means to be a servant in our lives. You will be faithful to us to teach us and to show us and to train us what that means for each of us. And Lord, I thank you for the glory you're going to get. I thank you, Lord, as we ask you to wash our feet this week, a beautiful thing will happen in us and through us. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God.